Well, earlier this fall, in early October, during our kids' fall break from school, I did something that I never intended to do. Our family went ziplining over the Red River Gorge. Everyone but me thought that hanging on a wire 300 feet above the gorge sounded like a lot of fun. I am terrified of heights, terrified of heights. Even yesterday at Kroger Field, we were walking to our seats and we went by the, the rail and I couldn't get that close to the rail because I have this fear I'm going to fall down even though I'm not that close. Anything of heights, I despise. Regardless, Lisa got a great deal and the four of us, against my better judgment, in a moment of weakness, I agreed and we went. So here we are at Cliff View Resort in eastern Kentucky, wearing our harnesses, helmets, preparing to zip through the wilderness. And I am convinced that this will be my last day on earth. <laughs> Either that we're all going to die falling into the gorge or just I will have a heart attack and die. Either way, this, this is going to be it for me. There are five different zip lines that we cross. Maybe some of y'all have done this. The first three are, are kind of the bunny slopes. I was scared to do it, but they just kind of went through the trees. And, and truthfully, we weren't that high off the ground. And honestly, I thought, okay, th this is not as bad as I anticipated it was going to be. Then we got to the fourth. And it was completely different. And it was much worse than I ever feared it might be. We had to climb a tower and then walk across a swinging bridge high in the air just to get to the area where we're going to jump. And then where you jump is facing over the gorge. The fourth line took about a minute to cross. You had to put your knees in the air as you're holding on so that you would get up to about 60 miles an hour so that you could make it across. I had my eyes closed for the entire 60 seconds going 60 miles an hour. Somehow, I did make it to the other side. Literally, I didn't see anything. But on the other side, the guide suggested that this would be the ideal place for a family picture. So here we are, the gorge behind us, beautiful fall colors, everyone in their outdoor clothes, got our helmets on, got our harnesses on. We, we just look like this little family, happy. And, and I'm as miserable as I've ever been in my entire life. Complete anxious mess. And I just wanted it to be over. I wanted it to be over. But here was the problem. As we're sitting there having that picture taken, we're all smiling, we've got our clothes on. Remember, that this was the fourth line, and there were five. We still had to go back over the other side. The highest one we had not yet done. The journey wasn't over. You see, the look on my face didn't match the reality of my heart. And that's where I think... Many of us find ourselves, as we look at this passage this morning, I did survive, I am here, but I enjoyed the fact that it was over. My zipline experience reminds me in so many ways of our life that the look on my face does not match the reality of what's going on inside my heart. Oftentimes, I'm filled with surprises, I'm filled with terrors, I'm filled with anxiety, depression, pain, whatever the case may be, but yet I could smile and look like everything is just fine. Well, here's the deal. It wasn't just fine. I was scared, but I had to continue. I had to keep going. I wasn't back yet. I had to go back over the gorge. And in our lives, we have to persevere. 
Our journeys are not over. We have to keep going. Regardless of the look on our faces, we have to press on and on. Our passage this morning is about God's people continuing in life, continuing in their faith, even when there is danger all around them. That's what this passage is about. Psalm 91 is for people who recognize the dangers that exist in life and yet must continue in faith. I think this is important for us. You know, I know most of you all this morning, we're friends, we've been at church together for a long time, we live in community together. Some of you all have enjoyed great peace over the course of this past year, from one Thanksgiving to the next. But some of you have been through incredible loss. And the holidays are always a bit mixed. We do recognize we receive God's grace in our lives and we're grateful. But yet we are reminded that we're not in heaven. This is not our final destination. No, there are issues in our life that are real, that are painful, and we must press on. So my question for us this morning from this text is, what do we need to know from God to help fuel our faith to continue, to continue our journey in our walk of faith where we don't know the future, where decisions have to be made, there are dangerous issues all around us. What do we need to continue? As we consider the answer to this question, it really does reveal God's heart toward his people. What we see in the Bible is that God's word is a collection of promises that he has made to his people, and then the unfolding of how those promises are actualized in the person of Christ. And in Psalm 91, we see that God makes a pledge to us a pledge that I pray will fuel our faith today. I said I'm only going to be preaching from the last three verses, and that's true, but, but just notice again the entirety of the psalm. In verses 1 and 2, the emphasis here is, is on uh, the pronoun I, and it's the psalmist's personal faith in the Lord. But then it's verses 3 through 13, the pronoun switches to you. And that's where the psalmist is exhorting the reader to trust in God at all times. It's as if he becomes the preacher. But then in verses 14, 15, and 16, he goes back to the pronoun I. But it's no longer the I of the psalmist. Now the psalmist is writing in the place of God. It's the divine pronoun I. It's where God declares this is what he is going to do. The psalmist is speaking directly for God. Again, the focus on this final section of Psalm 91 is to look at these divine pronouns to see that God has made a pledge to us. And my hope, my prayer for us this week is that this pledge to us, these pledges to us will fuel our faith. So I want us simply to look at three promises this morning. From verse 14, see the promise of protection. Verse 15, the promise of access. And then lastly, verse 16, the promise of life. So what do you need as you continue in this faith? First, promise number one, a pledge to protect. Verse 14, the Lord says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. I want you to notice from this passage that before we think about those things in which we need protection from, 
The overriding issue here is why God does the protection at all. Notice the description of the ones for whom God gives protection. These are people who hold fast to God. They are people who know his name. What's he describing here? The psalmist is describing an intimate relationship where both sides, the Lord and mankind, both of them are actively pursuing each other. It's as if there's almost like this romantic relationship where there's incredible enjoyment that occurs when the two are together. The person that the Lord protects is the person whose heart is enamored with the Lord, is enamored with God, is enamored with God in the face of Christ. Charles Spurgeon says about this verse that this person is intensely attached to God. I like that. A person who is intensely attached. That is, there is total delight in who God is. That is, when you study his attributes, you find more and more joy in reality of knowing that this is the God that you serve. So I ask you this morning, is that you? Do you delight in the Lord? Do you know the Lord in such a way that you love him? That you want to be with him? That you enjoy spending time with him? When you recognize that this is the relationship, see again this protection that he gives. The protection for this kind of person is the type which comes from a powerful and loving father who delights deeply in his children. So think again of a perfect father who is our Lord and how a perfect father cares for his children at all times. That's what this is describing. The picture we get from this verse is a promise of a king, a powerful king who is positioned in such a way to ensure that his people will never be alone no matter what they face. You know, earlier this morning in our order of worship, we looked at the Westminster Shorter Catechism question. It was a question of, you can see again on page six if you'd like, of how does Christ execute the office of a king? And knowing that Jesus is your king, look again of what Westminster says. This is what he's doing. He says, Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself. That he's at work inside of our hearts in ruling and defending us and in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 25 says that Jesus will reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Do you know what Jesus is doing this morning? Of the many things that he is doing. He's putting enemies under his feet. He's conquering in his own way, in his own timing, with his word and with his spirit in a way that is mysterious and is supernatural, that is physical and it is spiritual, Jesus is conquering. And someday the entire world will love him. That is what we long for. And all of the enemies that exist in this world and in our lives will be no more. As I've thought and prayed and studied and seek to uh, apply this this week, as I think about this and I think about the catechism question, 
You know, one of the greatest threats to our faith and continuing in our faith, it really is the sin that exists inside of our own hearts. Just imagine for a minute, if we were totally left to ourselves without God to sanctify us, how much destruction would we bring in our own lives? Do you know how much power I have even this afternoon to completely destroy my life and other people? Just imagine the sin that if God did not restrain that we could commit that would destroy each other. You see the power of what God is doing inside of us even this morning just as we battle sin in our heart? He's protecting us. Part of his protection, I am convinced, is to sanctify us from our sin. But not only that, we know from Ephesians chapter 6 that we have enemies in the spiritual world who are fierce and who aim to destroy us. And God, in the power of his spirit inside of us, he has given us the ability to fight against those things. What you see throughout Scripture is you see men and women called to live by faith in God, and yet they face obstacle after obstacle. And God alone is their hope. He is their deliverer. So I ask you this morning, are you keenly aware of your need for protection? You see, this is humbling. We have to realize that we cannot fight our enemies on our own. God is the one who does it for us, but his promise is he does it. I don't know your particular need this morning. I don't know your particular battle this morning, but I do know the promise that God has made, that he will protect you and that Jesus Christ is actively conquering all of our enemies today. Your journey of faith will continue to be filled with people and events and temptations which are seeking to destroy you and your faith. That is true. But the promise of God this morning that we can be thankful for is that we have one who will conquer our enemies. God's pledge to you because of his love for you is that he will protect you. Secondly, verse 15, promise number two. I simply call this the, the, the promise of access. Look back again at God's great promise here and may the profoundness of this fact deeply affect our hearts. You see, the promise here is that when we cry out to God in prayer, that God promises, God promises that he will answer those who love him. So let the mystery of this uh, revive your heart again this morning. The God who created the heavens and the earth not only hears your prayers, he will answer your prayers. As I've thought and I've studied this week, I can't get past the very simple implication of this text. That we are so near to the Lord. Yes, he is in heaven, but with his spirit in us, we can communicate with him at all times. And the answer is he hears us. He hears and he answers our access to him is immediate. No, we cannot see him, but we are so close to him at all times. You know, this pledge to us that he will answer our prayers, it has to create 
a radical call to pray. To pray. The, the, the church is a house of prayer in our homes. We're to be people of prayer because God has promised that he hears and he answers. To pray to our Father in heaven about everything is what our lives upon this journey are all about. Again, Spurgeon says about this verse, Without prayer, we will not experience God's blessing. We receive them as we ask for all good things. So people along a journey are designed to constantly receive from God his help along the way. All right. Another outdoor illustration. Uh, Grant Rowe is with us this morning. Grant is my personal mentor when it comes to long-distance running. Grant is a uh, cross-country coach, and he and I have run many of the same races over the last several years. He's better than I am, but I try to pick his brain from time to time. I used to train the same amount for a 10K or for a half marathon as Grant did, but he always beat me. And I just assumed it was because he was a better runner than I am. And reality is, he probably is a better runner than me, but, but he told me a little secret that he did when he raced. And that is, if you're running a 10K and there's a, a water stop at every mile, you stop at every one of them, and you walk, and you drink water, and then you keep running. Well, in my mind, the water breaks were kind of like for the sissies who couldn't keep going. So I just kept going. And I might grab a drink of water, but I would throw it out along the way, and I would just keep pressing on. But Grant stopped at every single one. He drank it, he walked, and then he kept going. And inevitably, he always beat me. And then it dawned on me after he told me again, you've got to stop. You've got to take a break. You've got to be refueled. And I think that's such a perfect picture of our prayer life. That in the midst of our journey, where we are tired, where we are busy, where we are stressed, where we are anxious, that God has designed that we call upon him in prayer. So I ask you, are your days marked with times where you call out to the Lord in every aspect of your life? Do you stop along your journey and do you pray? It's not just a good idea. It's how God has made us. And his promise here is that he answers. You see, in this journey, we will either continue in our own strength or we will receive the help our lives were made to receive. Our dependence upon him is marked by our prayers in him. I remember the apostle Peter when Jesus told him that his faith was going to be tested. A horrifying thing. But then Jesus told him, Peter, I have prayed for you. You see, there is power when you pray. Your children need you to pray for them. Your family needs you to pray for them. And God promises that he answers. Our faith is an active faith. Just as we are daily aware of our need of protection, we are daily calling out to the Lord in prayer. So see again that God loves an intimate relationship with you, so much so that he has designed you to live in harmony with him. It could be very easy for you this morning to look at this verse and to be cynical. We read it again. When he calls to me and I will answer him, I'll be with him in trouble and I will rescue him and honor him. I know many of you and you're probably thinking, 
Yeah, I've been calling out to him for a long time. Has he really answered my prayer? Again, it's easy to fall into a trap of being cynical here. Let me just remind you of this promise. His answer may not be what you want from him. But when your life is built upon him, he also promises that he will honor you. And your position as a son or daughter of the king, there is no higher position of honor than that. So even if you have prayed and you have not received the answer that you want, yes, you continue to pray, but you know along the way that you are in relationship with him. Our journey is filled with danger, so he protects. Our journey is filled with unique provision, so we ask. But then lastly, verse 16, this promise of life. We see that God not only cares about our safety, he also cares about the access that we have with him. But in verse 16, he says, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Again, you may look at verse 16 and its promise of long life and be confused. Because like all of us, we know that not every single person who delights in God lives till old age. We wrestle with this, we struggle with this, and it's hard. We all know cases where this is just not true. So what does this mean? Well, first, on one hand, it means that those who know the Lord certainly do live a long life because life does not end on this earth. We live for all of eternity. So that is part of this promise. But on the other hand, what this passage is saying to us and the real emphasis for our hearts this morning is the connection of seeing our salvation, the promise that God shows us that he will open our eyes to our salvation and to recognize that that affects our lives. When our deliverance from sin and the dangers of this world are revealed to us, that salvation will affect the quality of our life here on earth. So here's the promise. Whether your days on earth are long or short, when God is your delight, when he is your delight, you can experience satisfaction on this earth which only comes from him for whatever number of days that you have. To have a satisfied life is to have a life that is meaningful, that finds its purpose, that is full, to fulfill the very calling in which you were made, to be truly human, to live as an image bearer in, in harmony with God himself. That's the promise here. God is promising you this morning that he will allow you to experience purpose in this life. He'll allow you to experience the very reason for which he has made you. And don't pretend that we aren't all hungry for that. You see, in this world where our culture moves from one thing to the next in hope of finding some form of satisfaction and being constantly disappointed, God is crying out to us. I will give you satisfaction in your days. You will find delight when you live inside of my kingdom and take joy in that. Remember, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. See, God's desire for you this morning, his promise for you this morning is that he will satisfy your days. 
when God opens your eyes to reveal the magnitude of his salvation, all the rest of our life then starts to fall into place. And our identity in life is being conformed to all that Jesus' death purchased for us. See, do you ever think, do you ever think that you'll enjoy living apart from the giver of life? The one who creates life? Do you really think you're going to find meaning and purpose in life apart from the one who created life itself? It's impossible. You see, God wants your life filled with his heart, with the satisfaction for you which he can provide. And his promise to you this morning is that along this journey is that you will know him in such a way that you will enjoy him and that you will enjoy the life that he has for you. You know, as I stood at the ledge of that zip line, the guy looked at me and said something to the effect, you know, this cable's really strong. You're not the first one to actually do this. We've been doing it for years. You're going to be fine. You really can open your eyes and look out and see the view of the gorge and enjoy it. I made it back over. And for a brief second, I did open my eyes. I'm not going to say I truly enjoyed it, but I did open my eyes. But I understood the purpose. That God's creation is here. That he has us here. He has us for a purpose. That he protects us. He answers our prayers. He gives us enjoyment. So church, as we recognize this season, this holiday season, as we enter into it, may we see the delight that he has for us. And may we be thankful for the promises that find their truth in Christ. Amen. Let's pray now and prepare ourselves to come around the Lord's table. And Father, as we think about these things, we think about your goodness to us. We think about your promises to us. Lord, we do recognize that the table that has been set before us is about you and your goodness and your promises. Oh, Father, I pray for every person here that we would take great delight in the reality of Jesus, that you are our king and that you love us. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.